0: Let's pray and let's get started. Dear Lord, I want to thank you so much for um, just leading me here in the first place. Just, you know, four years ago, I, I, I couldn't have even imagined that I'd be doing what I'm doing right now, uh, bringing your word, Lord, and I just pray that you'll empower me to do it one more time here at this school, um, on this stage, in this pulpit. I just pray, um, Lord, that your words will not fall on deaf ears. That one more time lord you'll open our eyes to by your spirit so that we can see and our ears so we can hear and our minds so we can comprehend and understand and know exactly what to do with what we hear and open up our hearts lord so we 'll fall in love with you because there is no one like you, and it is in your name we pray amen so guys i uh I titled this uh sermon a warning uh Before entering the promised land. Because you guys, as far as I know and from the conversations I've had with you guys, y'all have been kind of wandering from place to place for 13 years. Is that accurate, Carl? 13 years. And, um, you know, I've been on this journey with you for three years. But, you know, I've been the same way. I talked to Caroline and Jameson this morning. And I said, you know what? I said, this is the last Sunday at the school and I said, y'all need to understand, y'all have never had, you know, a church home. Their whole lives, they've been in some high school. Because Golden Corner, when we got there, was already outgrew grew their facility. So they had to move and go to Wahala High School. So we stayed there for a, a lot of years. And so my kids have never actually had a home church. You know, Nellie was telling me about the last time that she was actually in a home church, that she called her home, was, it was in a Mennonite church. And um, so you know, I've been wondering for eleven years, and uh, just you know, without having a place to call call our church home. And you guys next week, you know, we we go home. You know, we go to our own home place, which is which is amazing. But I was thinking about this, and I was reading. You know, before the Israelites actually got to go to their homeland and their their place where they would permanently dwell. Uh, I, I started reading all that and just tried. I just wanted to see if there was any similarities, anything that, that he may want to tell us before he um, before we head over there. And man, when I just when I read the very last part of this, man, I just I just cried and I just felt God's presence. And I'm like, that's it, Lord. I said. So I just pray that I be able to to, to tell you guys, uh, you know, the way it was kind of told to me. So um but warning before before entering the promised land before they entered the promised promised land they were in the wilderness okay and in exodus chapter 13 verse 18 he says so god led the people around by the way of the wilderness of the red sea now guys you're only talking about a 250 mile journey okay now obviously in a car that's not that big of a deal but if you're walking it's a it's a pretty big deal but he did not lead them home on this straight shot. You know, he, he could have just a straight line. They could have just gone there. It could, have been, it could have been so quickly, quick done so quickly. But it said God led them purposefully around by the way of the wilderness. And, and every one of us have to go through this wilderness experience, I think, before you truly come home to that relationship with God. And I've noticed that whatever you think that God will do, okay, he'll usually do the opposite. You know, when I got saved as a 16-year-old Christian, the only thing that's off the table is me becoming a preacher, okay? Like, I'll get saved, and I'll go to church, and I'll do all this, but please, God, don't make me get up in front of anybody and talk okay? I mean, that was my total attitude. So so the one thing that was off the table, okay, is the thing that's on the table right here, right now, as I'm preaching to you. You know, so what you think he'll do or what you think he'll usually do the opposite. I mean, they thought this was going to be a short journey, you know, 250 miles. We can knock that out, you know, 10 miles a day, 25 days, you know, with, with that many people. But it ended up, they having to go. God purposefully took them through the wilderness. What you think will be short, sometimes is long. What you think is long, sometimes will be short. Even um, when I first started, kind of feeling the call to be a minister, be a be a pastor. I told Tanya, I said, "Well, I said, you know, God probably wants me to retire from my job, and uh, you know, and then I'll I'll have health benefits." I mean, I reasoned all this stuff out. So. You know, a few years ago, I said, well, 10 years from now, you know, we'll probably start us a church, you know, and and that'll be it. And it's like, no, God, like, I want you to do it now. I want you to start now. (laughs) I'm like, wow, you know, okay, and I'll do I do what you want me to do. And then sometimes it's the opposite. You know, when I was, uh, when you're kind of late teens, early 20s, you start seeing your friends get married, and you start doing all that, you start thinking, well, it's time, you know, for me to get married. And so you start thinking that's going to happen pretty quickly, but then, you know, some years go by, and you and I realize, well, I'm not ready to be married, so, you know, God took me through this process. It didn't happen as quickly as I I thought it would. You know, I didn't marry Tanya until I was 26. I met her when I was 24, but most of all of my friends had already kind of gotten married, you know, by that point, and I was thinking, you know, I was going to be left out, an old man dying all along, you know, and I was 21 years old. I mean, that's just weird, you know, how, how our minds do that. But God will usually do the opposite of what you, you think. And when it happens, you just realize it was all him and he did this great work in your life and, and all this. So, you know, if you, in the wilderness, I believe you either become an authentic, real deal Christian or you quit. Okay, you either, you either learn to fully rely on God, you will do whatever He asks you to do, even if it costs you everything down here, you'll become an authentic believer, or you'll kind of just continue to believe in Him, and you'll just pick these, pick and choose these little rituals that you like to do to make you feel better about yourself, but you won't really know God. That's just either what happens in the wilderness. You either choose to go all in or you just pick and choose and try to cruise through life, you know, just feeling better about yourself and hoping when it's all over, you get to be with Him in heaven. So here's the map that they ended up taking. The fastest route would have been 20, uh, 250 miles, straight, straight shot. So when they left, okay, and when um, Joseph said, look, take, get daddy, pack up everybody, and I want you to come here to Egypt because we got grain. We can take care of everybody. Seventy people left, you know, from what, what is the promised land and took off to Egypt and lived, you know, in the land of Goshen. Pharaoh, you know, took care of. Seventy people ended up leaving and taking that route. Now, 430 years later, you would think, okay, you know, let's go on to the promised land. But they did not. Okay, that verse that we just read said that God took them purposefully, okay, through the Red Sea into this wilderness experience, Mount Sinai, where he told Moses that this will be the sign that you will worship God, you know, on this mountain right here, which had to sound impossible because all of his people were still in Egypt. But that ended up happening. They actually ended up dwelling here for around two years. And then took off up and then they had their chance to enter the promised land. The first route God took was, was two years. He, and he even says in the Bible that if, uh, if I take them the straight route, as soon as they encounter the Philistines or something, their hearts will just grow with fear and they're, they're just not ready. i got to take them this long route because I need to do something in their hearts before they come. Well, two years came... And they said, no, you know, they, they had watched God do all this wonderful stuff. And they said, no, you know, we, we can't go in there. It's already occupied people with way bigger than us who are better than us, stronger than us. And, you know, it was just an insult to God. So God said, fine. Fine you not you you can't go in and then all of a sudden they were like well let's go in anyway cuz we don't want to go back to the desert and they went they got they they got beat really really bad and they had to go wander in the desert for 40 more years so this 250 mile journey took them 42 years to actually enter in to to their promised land Now, I just got on Google and was playing around and did this more for fun than anything else, but the next slide is our journey, okay? This is West Stoke High School right here, Warrior Lane, and it's 3.6 miles, and if we were walking, it says it takes an hour and 11 minutes. And But guys, listen, it was a three-year journey, For us to go from here and to go all the way down that road right there. And and not because we couldn't get there, but because, I mean, you gotta have this legal certificate of occupancy and you actually gotta make sure the building's safe and that nobody, you know, like, yeah, you have to do all this stuff. And that's, that's what we've been doing, you know, the last three years is, is taking our little journey to go there. But, but what's happened in our hearts? Over the last three years. I know my heart is more prepared to go home than it was three years ago. Just from studying this and leading you guys. And trying to say, God, how am I supposed to lead these people? But the amount of time that it takes. Okay, three years since since I've got here is that amount of time. And I've learned that the amount of time it takes depends on the amount of faith that you have. And the amount of trust that you're willing to give him. You know, guys, we've talked about the building at our leadership meetings, but, guys, all the main thing we do is we get together and we pray and we come before the Lord and we just let him know it's all yours. You get to do it. And then we try to come up with some ideas, and then usually later on we figure out that God had his own idea, and then we're like, we like your idea better. I mean, we really don't know what we're doing, but we cannot doubt that God has led us to this place that we're going to be going to. Just, just this next Sunday. And it's amazing. But the amount it takes. The, the time it takes from where you go. From from where you are. To into that promised land. Which is really an authentic relationship. With him. Depends on how much faith are you willing to put in. How much faith do you have in him. How much trust do you have. Jesus conquered the wilderness. In 40 days. It took Israel Forty-two years. And I want you to think about the things that they had to see before they physically got to walk into their promised land. The first thing they saw was deliverance from Pharaoh. I mean, they saw those ten plagues come like nothing, like God was intervening. He did all of this stuff to Pharaoh. That last plague they they saw where if we will take the blood of the lamb and put it on our doorpost, our children will be saved. Like, unbelievable. You know, they, they saw all this stuff, okay? But... That didn't give them enough faith to go on into the promised land. They saw when they got to the Red Sea, and they said, well, man, Moses really messed up. He should have taken us up and around. He took us right here, and now Pharaoh's army's coming. I can't believe he just brought us out here to die. Well, then they saw that that cloud, that pillar of fire move behind them. And block the army. And they saw the winds part the Red Sea. And they walked right across to safety. And then as they were being pursued. They saw the waters just close in on Pharaoh. They saw unbelievable deliverance. And then within just a few days they go in, they start getting thirsty and they start getting hungry and they start wondering about where food where their food was gonna come from. And they they forgot about the miracles. They forgot about the God who has been providing for them so greatly up until this point. And they say and then they saw a miraculous provision of water and food, literally just coming out of heaven, and he provides for them. We're going to talk a little bit more about that later, but they saw that and it still did not lead them into an authentic relationship where they completely and wholly trusted him. Jesus is going to show us in a little bit what it looks like to do that and the Israelites are going to show you what it looks like to not do that, but they saw that miraculous provision of water and food. They saw the cloud by day. The pillar of fire by night, all they had to do was just follow it, stay close to where the fire is, stay close to the cloud of his holiness and his presence, and and we're fine. They saw it over and over. And the last thing that they had to see that I could uh, just blew my mind when I really thought about it in Exodus chapter 12, verse 37 remember, 70 people went to Egypt for salvation because they didn't have any food, but Egypt provided uh, food, okay? Egypt did not start out as a bad thing. The only thing the Israelites did wrong was stay there too long. You know, the famine was supposed to only last seven years. So when the seven years was up, they should have gone back home. That should have been what they did. But they liked the provisions of Egypt. They liked being taken care of. They liked that government assistance. You know, they liked all that. And so they stayed there too long. And they ended up in captivity for 430 years. So when they left... Then the children of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth about 600,000 men. Now, this is where they get the 2 million. They only counted the guys. So most of those men probably had wives, which pulls it up to about 1.2 million. And then they had children. You know, so, you know, I don't know if they were like us now. They, everybody had 1.2 children or how many, however it works out. But 600,000 men. Now, remember... God told, after they said no, after two years, he said, only Joshua and Caleb will see the entrance to the promised land, period. You guys didn't want me and you guys didn't trust me and you thought it was so much better back in Egypt. Well, now you get to roam the wilderness until you die. And so that means, okay, For 40 years, which is 14,600 days, 599,998 men had to die before they got another shot at the promised land. So guys, that means that they watched an average of 41 people die every day for 40 years, and they just buried them. And I can't imagine what Joshua and Caleb must have been thinking if they had just, looked. they did not have to die if they had just trusted the Lord. And I wonder if Joshua and Caleb Caleb even kept count. Like, man, as soon as all these guys are out of here, you know, we're, we're going on into the promised land. I have no idea what they thought, but they had to see that. They had to see all these people die before they would actually go in to the promised land. And in Exodus chapter 20, verse 19, this is why I believe they had so much trouble trusting God going into the promised land. I mean, of course, when people talk to them, they say, you know, and they said, oh, I wish we could get out of Egypt and go back home. Everybody would have said yes, you know, but, but would they, are they saying yes to God in an authentic relationship or are they just saying yes to what God can do for them? Even in the American version of Christianity today, when people get saved, are they saying yes because I want to go to heaven and I don't want to go to hell? Of course, nobody, everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody, if there's a heaven, they of course want to go. But are they, or, or, but are, they saying, are they saying yes to an authentic relationship with God? And see, even when they were at Mount Sinai seeing all this, they've seen all this deliverance and they, they come down here and it says, the people said to Moses, you speak to us and we'll hear, but don't let God speak with us lest we die. That's actually not supposed to be a desire. It's like lest we, lest we die. But it says, we want you, we don't mind hearing stuff from you because you're like us, okay? And we know you go up there and you come off that mountain with your face shining and all that kind of stuff. We, we can't doubt that you've been in the presence of the Lord, but you keep you, you keep doing all that stuff. But we don't want to go up there with you and be in the presence of, our, of of God ourselves lest we die? Like, really? I mean, and here they are after they heard all this. They thought that God was just brought them out there to kill them, to be killed by those giants in the promised land. No, he brought you there to live and to conquer. But you chose to end up dying in the wilderness, in the desert. You didn't have to, but they didn't really want him. They wanted what he could do for them. And there are benefits in serving God, but you can't serve him for the benefit. You serve him because you love him and you want him and you desire him. There's no one like him. Moses got it. You know, there was even a time when God told him, he said, listen, I'm going to lead you guys out of here and I'm going to send my angel to guard over you and you're going to take that. And Moses says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now the rest of the Israelites would have been like, yes, 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 you do that. But Moses told him, he said, listen, if you don't go, if your presence is not there with us, you leave us here. I don't even want to go. Moses Got it. Because he already had the best that Egypt had to offer. He already had all the money, all the energy, everything that Egypt, he had the best of it. And he's like, listen, knowing God is a million times greater than all of that. And he was trying to teach it to the people. But the people said, no, we don't mind listening to you, okay? You keep your relationship with God because you come off that mountain and you tell us cool stuff and we don't mind listening to you, except when you don't do what we want you to do. But you keep doing that. But we don't want our own authentic relationship with the Lord, okay? Now, 42 years to get in the promised land. And yet, yet Jesus conquered it in 40 days. I want us to look at some differences and then I'm gonna, um, I'll wrap this up, okay? Comparisons of Jesus and the nation of Israel. Matthew chapter 4 as soon as Jesus was, was uh, baptized and everybody heard, man, this is, the, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. It says Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. Nobody gets to avoid the wilderness. I've had my wilderness experience. Uh, I don't think it had to last as long as it did, but it lasted as long as it took to work into my heart where I could say, Lord, you are God and I trust you regardless. My life is yours. Okay. Even Jesus was led up by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterwards, he was hungry. You think. Okay. 40 days, 40 nights. Okay. And I'm going to put that little plug in there, guys. You know, in January, and, uh, you know, I'll probably start a little bit earlier this year, like after Christmas. But, you know, the fast, you know, I, I made a vow before God that I, I will fast for 21 days every year. So for me, it's coming regardless. Tanya has always joined me in on that every time she could. And, you know, and I'm going to ask you guys, if you've never fasted, you need to fast this this year, beginning of next year. Take 21 days, do it. Do the Daniel fast. Uh, do just the water fast whatever and and my thing is the next year it always has to be a little bit tougher than last year okay i mean i I want to work my way up to a 21 day water only fast but i'm just i'm just not there yet you know so i'm going to make mine a little bit tougher as uh, every year um and 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 i want to be able to fast for the lord and conquer the flesh you know jesus fasted i don't see how we think that we can avoid uh, letting that flesh die so that our spirit, man, you know, can increase. But he had fasted 40 days, okay? When the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God. and just a little bit before, God told him you were my son. Okay, like God himself, this is my son. And then here the devil comes and says, if you really are. You know, just everything the devil says is so calculated. Did God really say you couldn't eat of this fruit? You know, everything, everything he says is so calculated to get you to start thinking and get your mind. So he says, if you really are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. Okay. Now you're going to see in just a little bit, this is the same temptation that the, that the Israelites, soon as they hit the desert had to deal with, they had to deal with this food issue because remember that wilderness was 250 miles So Jesus, even though he subjected himself to it, could have been, if he was in the middle, he's 120-something miles away from either side, from any kind of food. He's in the wilderness, okay? He subjected himself. That's what fasting does. It brings on the affliction. I mean, it brings on the migraine headaches From me. It brings on the low energy. It brings on the, I mean, it's tough. I can't stand fasting, but I do like, you know, afflicting myself and dealing with that stuff because I'm afflicting myself and not just because the world's throwing it at me or the devil's making it happen to me. But he was hungry, and he had just for a moment to think, wow, I'm 100 miles from some food. You know, what am I going to do? I've been fasting 40 days. And the devil says, here, man, I got your solution. Go ahead and turn these stones to some bread. And he said, no. I will not make this all about my satisfaction for eating. I'd rather die here and starve with God on my life than than to do what you're asking me to do. He says, it's written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Look how the Israelites handled it. Look back at the next verse. Go ahead and go to it. Exodus chapter 16. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. They got hungry. And if they could have made some stones turn into bread, they would have done it. It says that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by those pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full, which there's no way as slaves that that Egypt gave them any more than leftovers off their own table. For you have brought us out into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You know, no, I don't care how bad we, I'd rather starve here with God, with us, than I I, I would rather do that. I'd rather starve here than than go on and and be without it. The Lord said to Moses, okay, and they they come with this request. We're, We're about to starve, okay? And God one more time says, look, I'm gonna provide for you. The Lord said to Moses, behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a certain amount every day that I may test them. To test them, why are you testing them? Because I wanna know whether they will walk in my law or not. Do you want just what I can give you? Or do you want me? Jesus conquered the, the will, this part of the wilderness in 40 days because he could, he, he just said, Lord, I want you. I want, I want you more than I want food. I'd rather starve and die with you than have plenty without you. And most people just are not that way. Look at the next part. Matthew chapter four, verses five and seven. It says, then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him at the pinnacle of the temple, top of, top of everything. And he said, if, okay, and one more time, just, just try to get him into doubt. If you really are the son of God, then you should be able to do this trick. If you, you throw yourself down, for it is written, so now you know, the devil like starts acting like he he's he's all some Bible expert now, which which he is, probably more so than any of us, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It's written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. I'm not gonna throw myself off just so God can prove that he's good. And let's look at the counterpart in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 17. It says, therefore, the people contended with Moses. It says, give us water that we may drink. Okay, so we're going into this the, the water now. So Moses said to them, why do you contend with me? He's been trying all along to say, look, get your eyes off of me. I can't save Anybody, I know you like listening to me. And I know when I came off the mountain, you was like, you talk to us, but we don't want to talk to God. But it's not about me. It's about him. And because of your attitude, why do you tempt the Lord? You're tempting him. And that's the same thing that Jesus said. You don't tempt the Lord your God. And then Moses responds. It says, the people thirsted there for water and the people complained against Moses and said... Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children uh, and our livestock with thirst? You only brought us out here to kill us. And this is what we mean by tempting the Lord. God, you do this for me or else you're not real. You do this for me or else you're not good. Do this for me or else you are just somebody that that actually wants to kill me. You know, that you're not real. You're not up there. You don't have my best interest in mind. You don't tempt the Lord your God like that. And Jesus knew that. He says, no, you don't make these demands against God. I don't just throw myself off and say, you catch me or you're not real. You don't tempt the Lord your God like that ever. And in Matthew, the last one, the last temptation says again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you and just stay on this slide for a little bit. If you fall down and worship me. So many things about that. Was it really the devil's to offer? The Bible does call him the prince of the power of the air. You know, God gave Adam dominion over the earth. And when Adam ate of that fruit of the knowledge of good and evil, he handed it to Satan. He said, here, it's yours. And so the devil has something to offer here. He's like, I'll give you. I'll just give this all to you if... You'll fall down and worship me. And I can't imagine that anything would appeal more to this American version of Christianity than this. Oh, you don't have to do anything. I'll just give you eternal life. I'll just give you this. And, and, and we don't want to, we don't want to consecrate ourselves. We don't want to do anything that God asks us to do. We don't want to build on that foundation of belief. We just like, look, I want to say a prayer and I want to just go on to heaven. So, you know, I'll just give it to you. All these things I'll give to you if you'll fall down and worship me. And so Jesus responds. He says... Away with you, Satan. This is never going to happen. I'd rather go through the pain of the cross. I'd rather go through everything that I'm gonna have to go through. All the, the spitting on me, the people calling me names, the religious people saying I'm not from God, the people, the religious people getting on to me for healing a guy on the on, on the Sabbath, but then them getting on to me because I broke their little rule. I'd rather go through every little bit of that with God than for you to just give me this world which I've already created for destruction and and follow you and to bow before you. It's never going to happen. Away with you, Satan, for it's written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It's It's not about going into this promised land. And God, Jesus' promised land right here could have been the whole world, okay? That could have been. But he's like, I don't want this world. And I believe the Israelites just wanted the promised land. And I hope that we want more than just a new church building. We want him. We want to worship the Lord, our God. And we want to serve the Lord, our God. And we don't care if he gives us anything. We want him. It's all about him. And then the devil left and said, I can't do anything. I got nothing to tempt this guy with. He'd rather starve than than be separate from God. He won't tempt the Lord. He don't even care if, if God does this thing that he needs so much. He's not going to go anywhere if the worst happens to him. And he, he, this guy, I can't do any, I can't offer him anything. I can't offer him enough money. He would, he, he, I, I got nothing else. So the devil left and behold, angels came and ministered to him. So after 42 years the Israelites are finally getting to go home and in Deuteronomy chapter 6 this is what the Lord says this is this is the word from the Lord right before they they go so it shall be when the Lord your God brings you into the land which he swore to your fathers to Abraham Isaac and Jacob to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build okay Listen we can't doubt that oh that man we're going here for the for the because God has intervened, man I mean those carpenters for Christ chose us out of all the people that they could have chosen in the in the whole entire southeast I mean every all the money that we've raised has just has seemed to be just the right. Amount i mean it's it's absolutely astounding that the Lord is is leading us into our place so here's what here's what God says when when you're enjoying these houses full of all these good things which you didn't feel, hewn out wells which you didn't dig, vineyards and olive trees which you didn't plant when you have eaten and are full, what do you think he's going to say what, you know like once you go over here? Here's the warning. This is all he asked. Then beware. Here's the warning. Lest you forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt from the house of bondage. Guys, amazing. All he said, all I feel like he's saying to us today is guys, when you get over there in that really nice building that's all your own, it'd be so easy to go over there and just be about this ministry or doing this or doing that and thinking about all the stuff you're going to get to do. He said, but look, I only ask you to do one thing. What? Don't forget about me. Don't forget. That was so powerful when I got that. And I want, guys, we got one more chance to use this altar, this is it, guys. And um, I want us, the guys, pl- to pray for uh, and and be thankful for this place of provision that God has has given us. And I'm on. A, I want us to pray for this school. Let's ask. Lord, will you let the Holy Spirit reside here? Will you do something great? Will you help students? You know, we just pray for the students here because I, I like to think that our presence here on Sunday does something for this school throughout the week and we're not here. You know, there's going to be no more prayers. We're going to be using this as, as, as an altar. But most of all, I want to pray that we absolutely never, ever forget God. And I want to go over to the new school guys and I want to be preaching a relationship with him and knowing him that's still the most important thing on the planet. I'm glad we're going to do other stuff, but he comes first, God. When we go over to this place, we'll never forget you and I'm going to ask him to always bring into my spirit if I start drifting away from that to always say Lord I just want to preach about you thank you for the new building thank you for all this stuff but if you took it all away tomorrow I'm not going anywhere because you are the greatest thing this life has to offer not a church building not a program not any of that you are the greatest thing